Progressive Learning Podcast, produced by A Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburo and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. Today, we're taking a look back at MLK and introducing a new team member. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm Richard and I've got newbie, but not that new around here, but new on staff, Tom. So you've been around for quite a while. You were in the college while we did that. And you did the gap year before that. Yeah. You've been serving a long time. Yes. Um, yeah, like there's a rich history here. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've I've been around for I think it's five or six years now. Um, started to come into Westside when I was a freshman in college. Um, a friend brought me over, and then since then I was just like, what can I do to get more plugged in and more plugged in? And one thing led to another, and it mm-hmm. was an internship, and then serving with youth, and then serving with kids, and then hospitality, and. Then it was the Jesus Youth College or Jesus Church College, um, and now yeah, I yeah. What do we call you? Is it youth officially? So uh, yeah, youth director. There you go. Official uh, youth director. And you've you've yes. done youth stuff for a long time. You yeah. did like FCA. You've like you've done lots of things. So give right. us a bit of history. Um, yeah. Did you arrive at Westside passionate about youth? Is that something God grew more recently? Like, and, and where does it come from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. It's definitely something that God's um, like woke me up to and and kind of progressively grown in me. Um, when I came to Westside as a freshman in college, I had grown up in the church, um, but I didn't necessarily um, follow Jesus with my whole life. Meaning it. W- like the way of Jesus wasn't the center of my life. It was just more of like one of the things I did. Like I, I always came to church or I always said I believed in God if anyone asked, but I wasn't like full-blown um, so you, so you felt like way. Because so, sometimes um, people are like, oh, you're a real Christian. And so it's like, no, you had a real faith, <coughs> yeah. like real relationship with Jesus. It was just, it hadn't become right. the full thing yet. Yes. It hadn't started like permeating my whole life and how I thought about my day-to-day stuff instead of just like where I was going when I died. Um, but as I got plugged in here, I just sensed a different um, kind of like spirit, like a different way that the leaders were behaving and especially some of the um, leaders here who were involved with youth. And it was really attractive to me. I didn't really have language to pinpoint what it was about them or their personality or how they acted, but they they had a like source of life that was different than what I had at the time. And I was like, whatever that is, I don't know mm. what it is, but I want it. Um, and so in order to do that, I want to be close to these people. Um, and so I started being like, how can I be around you guys more and what can I do to serve? And um, that's what really led to me getting connected with youth ministry. Um, but I also played a lot of sports growing up. And so naturally in a lot of high school settings, if you're an athlete and you have faith in Jesus, most people want you to be in leadership with 
like FCA or something like that, um, which, you know, has pros and cons because just because you follow Jesus and you're an athlete doesn't necessarily mean you're a great candidate what, you for leadership. Sport doesn't make you um, automatically great. But, <laughs> Instagram's been lying to Right, me. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be crazy to think that. But, um, yeah, so that led to me being put in positions of leadership with FCA and Young Life, um, and that, that was always around middle school and high school students. Um, so as I started to plug in with Westside and see a youth ministry that, in my opinion, was, like, thriving and healthy, I was like, oh, wow these things that I'm seeing and learning, I could take and uh, drop them into the Young Life and FCA communities that I'm a part of. And and so instead of picking one, I just did all three. <laughs> and there are a few years of like const- like pretty much every night of the week yeah. I was like doing something with youth, whether it was FCA or a small group or Young Life or youth. Um, but I love the way that kind of everything for me. You, know, you end up like leading in youth. Uh, through maybe some unhealthy assumptions. But, like, part of your story yeah. is the way that God used that imperfect space to, like, teach you, grow you, and use you. Like, how God honored that journey. He didn't turn around and be like, no, you're not, like, you're, right. this isn't right. Get out of here. Um, but, yeah, because that's just yeah. so... I mean, uh, and I'm an idealist. So I always want to aim at, like, a high bar, and you know, but, but yeah. the realist that I've that's grown in me <laughs> with age is like, yeah, mm-hmm. that a lot of the time that's actually how Jesus works. So I love that that's so clear in your story. Right. Right. I, he, he's definitely been kind to, as I stumble into things or maybe begin something for the wrong reason, um, to teach me and mature me um, so that maybe something I started for the wrong reason or... Um, for the wrong assumption mm-hmm. became the right thing. Um, and he was able to use and refine and teach me really what it was supposed to be, which is humbling in the process because if we're honest enough to be like, wow, I wasn't on the right track when I stepped into this or what I know now would have like made me totally embarrassed about what I knew then or whatever. Um, but it gives me humility of like, yeah, God was kind to do that for me. And now in this youth ministry space, how could I see potential in other people um, and kind of like call people up, even if they're not like perfectly ready or every box isn't ticked or whatever? Because um, I think a lot yeah. of. Yeah, there's, like, there's room at the, the table. Yeah. yeah. I was talking to someone yeah. about something similar the other day. And um, I'd just been thinking about how the woman who breaks the alabaster jar over and you know, you know wipes Jesus' feet with her hair yeah. and all of that stuff, that's like um, anointing yeah. him to be king, which was reserved normally for like a male prophet or priest to anoint. And here you've got like a outcast female prostitute that God's like, yeah, I, I'm actually mm-hmm. going to use you to be the person to do that for my son. And it's just a beautiful picture mm-hmm. of like, she hasn't got wow. all her crap together yet, yeah. but God's drawing her in and using yeah. it along the way. Yes. You know, because there's part of me, like I wow. have the perfectionist yeah. gene in me a little bit um, of like, right. 
yeah. always preparing, never Same. ready, you know? And so, like, that mm-hmm. that's such a beautiful <laughs> yeah. reminder to just for sure. do it. Like, just for sure. yeah, see what Jesus wants to do today. Right, and the way that he, like, honored and loved that woman um, probably took her into a place that would have taken um, just, like, a lot of time um, to, like it propelled her forward in a way that like she could have never imagined or hoped for. Um, like it's, it's like, it like speeds the journey up when he's able to be like, cause I think she probably would have disqualified herself from ever being worthy of that oh, position yeah. or maybe seen like a high Everyone priest else or and been like, right? Oh, never. Yeah. 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 Right. Never me. Um, but Jesus was so sweet to, and kind to be like, not only am I going to let you do this to me, I'm going to like honor you, love you, and then make mm-hmm. sure everybody forever like remembers yeah. this story. Well, let's do like some more getting to know it's you. Powerful. Um, so recently married. Yeah. So I'll ask you how that is. Yes. Hopefully it's, hopefully it's all good. Um, yeah, you're also you're great. still like <laughs> doing good. college classes to get your Bible degree and do, and doing this full time. Yeah, so you're a lunatic. Right. So when yep. when you see Tom around uh-huh. church, you should just make sure he's okay and well fed and well yeah. rested. <laughs> yeah, it actually feels less than yeah. You were doing what about I was six doing different like jobs the previous you? years. I feel like for, <laughs> for some reason I just think I can take on more than I. Uh, more than I can. So, well, do you know what? One that's day I'll dream, just have one but it never quite works. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. Um, yeah. Okay, I'll ask you a silly question, yeah. then a sensible question. Um, oh, this yeah. is my favorite silly question. What do you think is the largest animal you could single handedly duct tape to a lamppost? <laughs> this is a measure of, of wow. your strength, your perseverance. <laughs> Your humility. Largest. Your realism. <laughs> wow. Largest yeah. animal I could duct tape to a if light pole. If you go pole. for duck, I'm going to be disappointed. Um, if you go for buffalo, I'm not going to believe you. Or maybe you go strategic. Yeah, like no maybe way. there's some way to um, like lasso a giraffe that's easier. Yeah. I think I could get a really big dog. Because I could, oh, so you go bribery and okay, I could bribe the dog right by the light pole, grab its collar and duct tape it. But oh wait, okay. no, I could do a horse for sure. Yeah, so I could get oats. Horses love oats. I would get, bring the horse over to the pole, put the bridle around the horse while it's eating the oats. Okay. That's brave. That's brave. You can bold. Because horses are pretty cheeky. Like, they are. <laughs> They're strong. <laughs> I would definitely not get behind the well, horse while I'm duct taping it to the, the sensible question. <laughs> so, you know, it's the new year. Um, it's a new youth team for Westside because um, yep. we've sent Keithan off. Um, you stand at the beginning of a new yes. series. Um, and I'm sure you could talk for hours on this. Um, but what's some of the stuff where you're like, yeah, I'm actually this is what I'm excited for now, for the season ahead, for the Jesus Youth. Yeah, there's so many things. Um, I think just an overall 
sense that we've been getting as youth team and as we collaborate with youth leaders around Portland and around um, the world is that I think people are realizing that um, the statistics are showing the church in decline, especially in um, the Western world, primarily in the Western world, and especially for Gen Z. And I think there's this collective sense that youth ministry has in the past been seen as like a stepping stone to get to Sunday and kind of like an extended, it can be seen as like an extended form of entertainment. Like send send a kid there and make sure they have fun and get to do cool things that are like safe. Um, and then, then once they get to Sunday church or once they grow up a little bit, they'll start like really getting discipled. Um, and that's obviously not the case for everyone. And, and it hasn't been the case for Westside, but I think we're just seeing like we, we must treat youth as the church. Like we need to treat them the same way we go into preparing for a Sunday, the same way we disciple adults who are fully grown and mature um, is how we need to be thinking about this generation and so just calling our youth up and like of course it's fun and it's different not like a youth night looks identical to what would be a sunday i wonder how people react though you know if we started doing dance parties on sundays as well as everything else you know maybe some people would be into it right yeah i think (laughs) i mean i i would imagine so um yeah but i think like there's just so much potential in young people and they're oftentimes just like way more capable and ready to receive some of these uh, concepts and ideas and truths than people think they are. Um, So when we call our young people into prayer culture and, um, and learning about like the scriptures in depth and the, the way of Jesus in their day-to-day life, like they're responding mm. in a really inspiring way. And in some ways just leading even the, like stepping um, foot for the church and saying like, these things are possible and um, we're ready to go into them, which is really exciting. It just gives me a lot of hope for this generation and like a lot mm. of zeal for stepping into youth ministry, not seeing it as, okay, I'll be here for a second and then I can get somewhere mm-hmm. that uh, is more significant. But being like, this is significant. Like, this is the most significant yeah. thing I could be yeah, doing it's, right now. It's, I so, don't know. You can kind of sense being at the tipping point between two types of being a Christian, in, especially in America, yeah. but elsewhere in the West as well. We've seen it in Europe a little bit earlier, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, the form of yeah, Christian right. where it's like, yeah, I kind of resonate with that. That's culturally authoritative for me. Things like that is is on the coattails of some yeah. work, like moves of the spirit in the past. Whereas now, if like mm-hmm. people are going to step into Jesus, it's going to be a move of the spirit right here, right now. And actually, right. heritage is a good thing. Um, so it, it doesn't mean that yeah. the previous thing is just totally devalued. But there is something really exciting about, I don't know, almost like nail-biting. Like Jesus just, we, we can't manufacture anything here. Jesus has to show up and transform lives. Right, um, right, yes. It's, yeah, it's really yes. dynamic, really exciting, especially for young for people sure. 
in the midst yes. of questions about who they are, what yeah. they're here for. I mean, it's amazing. Right. Yeah, we've been learning with Gen Z specifically that um, they sniff out like authenticity like crazy. So um, yeah, you just can't fake it. And they have a really high um, like radar for when someone's being authentic and sharing from something they really believe in and when they're yeah. just saying the right things. And that's challenged our leadership to be like, you know, we have to embody, of course, first, like what we're going to um, like preach or, or teach to our students. Um, but we have to have like a really high value for authenticity and say things that are true and things that we like fully believe in. Um, and when we do that and then create opportunities for them to encounter God in the process, the response is yeah. like overwhelmingly positive and powerful when when they're like, wow, this mm -hmm. is like real in the midst of a world where a lot of things are fake and everyone has their their own take on something um there's like there's a really sweet thing that's happening yeah um, and students are dialing in and, and that's and such encountering a human, god in and really powerful ways every generation is like it's got its own journey but it's trying to figure out what's real like everyone wants to be part of something that's real yeah it's interesting it's like what you're saying in the midst of like deconstruction movements and oh, this person says they used to be a Christian, but they just had it with the church because um, they just don't care about racial justice or um, the climate crisis or, you know. And it's really easy, I think, for some Christians sometimes to say, oh, they're just influenced by their culture. They, they want another gospel, a gospel of, like, social reformation and climate change reformation and, you know. Um, and... and Sure, there may be some people like that, but I think the vast majority of people I know, for sure, going through that process, it's more of a, no, no, I'm, I, I don't want to associate with that group because they call themselves Christians, but when I, tr really tried to get to grips with like the reality, of the gospel and of what Jesus stood for, um, the fact that they don't stand for some of these things makes it seem an unauthentic expression of Christianity. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just interesting. The narrative is being spun as like, yeah, deconstructionists yeah. want to, um, they want to, I don't know. Some people are, oh yeah, they just want to take like cherry pick bits of Christianity, stop calling it Christianity and go do their own thing. Whereas I think many of them would say actually from their point of view, the narrative is like, man, this thing we are calling Christianity doesn't square up. Um, and what I really want is that will the real Jesus please stand up, you know? Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, and yeah, it's so well said, and 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 inspiring. It's calling us up to be like, examine your life, look at your values, look at the Jesus that we're following and teaching about. Like how how does he align with the the questions that are most pertinent to this cultural moment? And in his fullness, Jesus like is the way in in every way like he he's the one who cares most deeply about all of these things like social justice was invented by jesus in a lot of ways he he was the first one to care about people on the margins and treat like he treats the earth like it matters he's the creator um and so i think when we're able to not look at people who are deconstructing their faith or challenging Christian ideas with like cynicism and judgment, but we're able to be like, 
No, let's actually pinpoint the parts of your heart that are aching for God mm -hmm. and then just put them in the right place. Um, but but on the side of leadership, that calls us up to be like, we better make sure that we're on the right track here and we know um, God is somebody who's holistic and integrated yeah. with like real life. Yeah, that, that reminds me. Today. It's a phrase, I can't remember where I learned it. It was a book years and years ago, but like, uh, Christians ought to be able to ask penetrating questions and expect satisfying answers. Like that's our apologetic. Yes. It's like we're, we're people who don't need to be scared of any question. Right. Not because we're proud and we'll always have the answer. No. But we we have a, yeah. a heritage of like when we really seek the answer, like there's often a way, you know, there's a way forward. We don't run yeah. into a brick wall of like, yeah, yeah actually... This Bible right. thing, it's like it's contradictory or it's not right or it doesn't seem good or God's way doesn't. Yeah. Normally we uncover yeah. there's something we've missed or or we've misread it before. Or yeah. yeah. Things yes. like that. Right. And I think that's so inspiring for young people to hear. Um, and inspiring for me, it's like, like I want that. I want to follow someone where I can ask the most penetrating questions and come up with really good responses and answers and i think um for whatever reason people maybe have who have followed jesus for years um think that they have to get mm -hmm. defensive or avoid hard things out of fear or whatever the reasons are some of them may have some legitimacy but if we're able to get that narrative out of our minds and realize and be reminded who jesus is and how holistic and powerful he is, we can like freely and willingly and openly bring people into conversations with those questions that are most penetrating and trust that on the other end, yeah, Jesus will make himself made known. Um, yeah, I think that's yeah, this would be interesting actually because, you know, I'm a generation apart from you, you know, we're different enough in age, but then you're working with people younger than you as well. Yeah. Uh, I would say part of my experience of like encountering Jesus and the process of falling in love with him and being drawn into life with him was like a journey of a, like one light bulb going over here with like, oh, Jesus got an answer to that. Oh, Jesus can work there. And it just, it, it inspired that, like the, the discovery inspires faith to go like wonder if he's got something in the next area in the next step and so it is that kind of like mm. the discovery invites you onto the journey of exploration um yeah and it and it does feel like a journey of discovery rather than you know i wasn't so much churched growing up so it wasn't like a journey of an invitation to conform to my parents idea of christianity or something like that you know um yeah. And it, yeah, yeah, it's just interesting. Like there was freedom for it to be real discovery as well. Um, yeah, but I wonder what that's like for like wow. you growing up in the church. That's so good. A little bit different. But then like the students yeah. you work with, like, right. you know, that discovery, yeah. does it generate appetite the way that my experience was, do you think? Yeah. I think like even what you're describing that, like, um, that that discovery process is is like the desire of probably 
most every generation's heart. I feel like thinking about my story, um, it was that discovery, like what's on the next page, like what more is on offer, um, like one after another kind of mind blown, either in little or really big ways that really compelled me to the way and the life of Jesus. And then hearing his promises and seeing what he had to say about like life, um, was like, wow, like what, like, what could that be? Um, Mm, it lit my imagination on fire and yeah. And it compelled me to follow him. But I, but I do know that growing up in the church, as much as my parents, um, may have tried to keep that like imagination or creativity alive in me, it's just, I think it's, it can be easy to just go to so many church things and gatherings and youth groups and, and Sunday services mm-hmm. and potlucks and all these things one after another and not just switch into a mode as a young person where you just know the right answer. You mm-hmm. kind of know what everyone's searching for, uh, for you to say, and you say those things and then you can like get off with a check mark. Um, so I, I know most of my young, like young teen and young adult life was spent knowing what answers I had to say in certain areas and certain circles and then being able to do whatever I want um, all the rest of the time. And it wasn't until I started that discovery and my imagination was aroused that I started to actually follow yeah. Jesus yeah, I love that. my whole life. It's, it's interesting, like me sitting here as a parent as well. It's like some of those other things. Yes. Yeah. They build the heritage that it doesn't off, it doesn't always create the spark of real encounter with Jesus. Um, but when the when the, the, the touch paper gets lit, you know, and that spark turns into a fire, so that heritage can then become fuel for the journey as well. You know, so it's not right. Yeah, yeah. No, the heritage is not in vain. Because it makes me think of like, like, you know, teach a a child, you know, the way it should go and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Right, for sure. And like I, I, I had to have that moment where my paper was lit on fire and I started to discover on my own and, and similar to what you're saying in your experience. But because I had theology and faith and experience for my whole existence, I was able to like answer certain questions or work through some like problems of suffering or some realities of life in a more maybe theological way than some new believers who get lit on fire, but then get hit with the reality of life in a painful or hard or challenging way. They can be more quick to, abandon ship or turn course or or then you're con- trying to convince someone no 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 this is part of it like you didn't understand when you were having your radical encounter um so yeah of course like i'm i'm really grateful for the heritage that i had but i think at some point on the journey um there needs to be that like making your faith your own lighting the torch what like uh igniting the flame whatever the analogy is i think part of that has to happen yeah um, yeah with each person well talking of living the real version yeah. will the real jesus turn up uh 
thing. Because yeah. uh, we were chatting before. Um, it's MLK Day this week. Um, podcast gets released yes. at the end of the week, so we kind of missed the boat a little bit, but that's okay. Um, but I was I was just talking to Tom. Like, there's something that just has been bugging me, and um, I I was just you know just reflecting a little bit. Um, you know, there's lots of uh, like MLK provocative things and like social media, things like that. So lots to think, you know, lots of opportunities to to think. Um, but something I, I hadn't really cottoned on to before in the US was like, oh, for lots of people, this is a, like a day of service. And I kind of connect the idea of like MLK's heritage and message and influence and impact and things like that with, oh, we ought to serve. And so just the amount of people, and, and I mean Christians, because I don't know if it's a bigger cultural phenomenon than mm-hmm. just some Christians, who are like, yeah, this is a day to like yeah. go volunteer somewhere, or you know, go give a bit of yourself away. Um, and it, was re- it was really interesting, because there was uh, actually someone in the UK talking about um, civic-mindedness. It's just that idea of um, mm. making a decision where the metrics you run it through are how does it affect my community, not how does it affect me, Um, which Martin Luther King was a a great example of, like, civic-mindedness in action. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, yeah, and that other-centeredness, and, you know, and you start to use those words, and you think, oh, it sounds a lot like Jesus-shaped stuff, right? But, But what's bugging me... And, and right. maybe, so, I mean, we'll chat about this, but I guess the part of the invitation as well is like, Tom, you're the cultural insider and I'm the outsider. So, like, what do you see of this? Like, you know, what do you make of it? But I guess the thing that bugs me is like, you know, people can kind of get enough of MLK to be like, oh, serving is important. Like, some sort of civic mindedness is important. And of all people, Christians ought to get this. Like, who will gain, like, who will save their life? The one who loses it. Not the one who seeks to gain more, but the one who tries to give away more. Um, and, you know, that we're, we're invited into a life that's like foxes have holes, the birds have nests, you know. But if you're one of my disciples, then your life, the shape of your life is going to be cruciform. You cannot seek to follow Jesus right. and seek comfort. You'll have moments of comfort. Jesus may bless you with comfortable things, but you cannot make that a priority in your life and follow Jesus. Your, your values, there will be cognitive dissonance and heart dissonance. Um, yeah. So like of all people, and, and just running into like so many people trying to co-opt MLK quotes and things into like, yeah, um, and, and I guess there's like two versions of it. One is like, no, it's great to serve and volunteer a little bit out of your abundance. You know, like give in a way that doesn't actually cost you anything. You know, give, give your time, effort, energy in a way that, you know, if, if you're not going to notice it, then it's okay to give it. And I'm saying that in a deliberately provocative way, and I know people don't think that way. But they sure do act that way. And you can tell it because so many conversations that ought to be civic-minded, you know, about uh, the role Mm -hmm. of the church in the community, about public policy. I mean, Christians weighing in on all sorts of political, social issues 
the landscape is dominated by a group of Christians who shout loud about needing to protect things and keep things and preserve things. And it's, it's just, I'm just like, how, like, those two things are polar opposites. Like a cruciform life and a life that's right. dominated by, you know, how, you know, my, my prime drive ought to be to, to get more and be able to protect what I have. You know, and and mm-hmm. I, it just is so interesting how that, as a political social right, became a Christian right. Mm-hmm. You know, so right, yeah. So I'm just looking at culture, right? And because MLK Day, I mean, we're aware of it in the UK, but it's not like a holiday, you know. So we're aware of MLK, but maybe not MLK Day. So, you know, being in America, yeah. looking at it with, like, different eyes, you know, I, I'm like, yeah. this is such a confusing day for me. This is such a confusing day. Right? Are you confused, Tom? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, um, I think it confusing is the word that I come to when I'm thinking about issues like this more and more. Um, and I think even what you're kind of, like, getting at is it's not just MLK Day, it's more of just the way of um, America intertwined and enmeshed with the way of Jesus and the church in America and how many American values and even like civic national values have been adopted and then put onto church values or Christian values in America and it's become so connected that it's it's hard to pull one apart from the other or to distinguish well wait a minute what what there is an American cultural value and what there is a Christian Jesus value and it's hard to pull them apart from each other if you're looking at the actual like life of the people in America who are Christians, um, but when you start looking at Jesus mm-hmm. and the scriptures, it's not hard to pull apart. Like, it's very clear how Jesus thought and interacted, even the scriptures you're naming. He was never about comfort or upward mobility um, or security. Those were just things that Jesus was like, Yeah, those aren't part of my life here. Like, here I have a mission and it's shaped by sacrifice and the cross, which is cruciform self-giving love. And then we look at Martin Luther King and he who was living in America in this enmeshed culture where comfort and upward mobility were um, the main, the main goal. He embodied the things of Christ and he lived a life of sacrifice and self-giving love. He he looked right at Jesus. He knew the scriptures. He literally was a pastor, um, and he embodied them like to the T um, in really courageous and admirable ways that we praise, but also really hard ways where he suffered constantly. I, I was watching the um, movie Selma the other night, and there's just this scene where um, Martin Luther's with his wife in their house and 
um, there's just like hostility in the air because of the sorrow of the reality that is his life. He he has children and a wife at home, and they would love for him to just be attentive, present, comfortable. They would love to not have any fear of danger or all the things. They they would love um, to have those things in their family, um, but they're sitting in this tension of like they know that there's this yeah. other thing that they're being I mean, we talk to. about young people, genuineness, authenticity, like, is it real? Like, it would be easy yeah. if you didn't know the history well to be like, yeah, here was a guy who wanted to advocate for people who were marginalized, oppressed, excluded, and he was included. So what he really was driven yeah. by is he wanted more for himself. Um, but he, he did want to advocate for this group of people. But self didn't seem to enter into it because he went about it in a way that he suffered and gave of himself for the sake of others. And it's just such a mark of like, does someone get the Jesus? Does someone get this Jesus thing? Like when, like the Bible says, count it all joy when you suffer in various ways, you know? Yeah. Um, And and he had such a beautiful way of, I don't know, owning the suffering without um, failing to call it what it was and say, this is a bad thing, but to step into it willingly. And it it just strikes me again, like the irony, like you can have one group of people who are desperately insecure and feel like they need to gain, and like you say, be upwardly mobile, be secure. Like they're fighting for security and that fight for security can make you insular and can inhibit your ability to to give right. f- and to care about others in front of yourself. Yeah. Um, uh, you right. know, but, and because you, you said a sentence and you were like, you know, we don't have security. And I know what you meant. But in a way, we do. We're the most secure people, right? And it, but if we get yeah. that security, right. if we understand the security we have in Christ, then the world's, the worldly version of security, this temporary, like in this little blink of an eye that's our mission on earth. Yeah. It right, frees right. us, yes. like that security frees us. And it's so ironic that so yeah. often it's the people who are persecuted, suffering, oppressed that understand mm-hmm. security. Like we've got so much to learn from groups of people who are like that. Um, and mm-hmm. and it's, but it's a tragic irony because right. the people who are in a position to do the most to give of themselves to help others are often the ones who are inhibited the most right. by insecurity. And get it the least, you know. Yes. So, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. It. It's like. It's really true, and it's hard. That's like one of the most challenging things when I look at the life of Martin Luther King Jr. and um, just see him embodying the real things of the way of Jesus, the way, like the way of cruciform life that we've been called to um and they're challenging because i look at my life and and the comfort and like so-called security that i do have and i'm challenged by it and not challenged in the way that like if you have any of those things in your life it's a bad thing but what is my relationship with those things like and do i that 
or am I valuing those things more? Like, am I valuing my own safety or the safety of my family or my financial security more than I'm valuing um, opening myself up to be someone who gives out of abundance and sacrifices willingly and embraces suffering because I believe in Jesus and the things that he's invited me into. I think Martin Luther had to keep like reminding of him of the himself of those things constantly. Like he would be in a moment of choice where he could go, he could see really clearly I could choose the more comfortable way here or I could choose the harder, narrow path um, that's the right path. And he would like have to sing hymns or bring in community or just recite scripture. Like it was, it was like he was past the point of himself being able to convince himself of anything. He had to just be reminded of the promises of God and hold on to those things kind of for dear life and be like, this has to be, reality over yeah. the alternative reality. Yeah, that's and that's the beautiful thing face. we can all yeah, learn from, all you know, because he was a great, like, social revolutionary uh, activist, theologian, pastor, like, so many sides to him. Yeah. Um, but we're, you know, we're not all called to be a theologian or we might not all call, be called to be a political activist. Or, But he also embodied... There's just something at the core of following Jesus that he lived out and in such a provocative, radical way that that can be so inspiring, like that narrow path living you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. I think like it's it's ironic that the world and not just the Christian world, but the world and especially America celebrates the life and story of Martin Luther King in such high regard um, and just in consensus. Like everyone's like, yes, that is the life that we must celebrate and honor. Um, When Martin Luther King Jr. was just mimicking and embodying the life that he saw Jesus live. And I think it's like, wow, like the world looks at that life and considers it of highest honor and, and, praise like the way of sacrifice is the ultimate way and martin luther king was looking at jesus and being like what you did yeah is showing yeah. me how to live um yeah it reminded me um, really like one of my favorite songs that if you listen to the podcast for a while i've probably mentioned it before because it's a favorite song but it's uh it's like really old i think matt redden won back from when i used to lead worship it's uh called show me the way of the cross and it's got this line, uh, like, I've crafted myself a more comfortable cross. It's like a song of repentance. But I love that in the chorus, it has, like, some things have to die. And, like, that just, it cuts against the sort of American dream version of life, which is, like, you can have it all. Like, I want to follow you wholeheartedly, Jesus, and all these other things. And it's just a song that's just an acknowledgement of, like, uh, yeah, Show me what needs to die. Um, yeah, radical message. Hmm. Wow. I feel like that's even a good way to, like a practical takeaway for those listening and, and us in the room. Like, you know, what what needs to die? Like, what are the, as we take a moment to reflect on our life, what 
what is there that we're holding on to because we have such high regard for comfort and security um, and what is the invitation for that God saying like trust me with this sacrifice this thing um, and I think like as as we're faithful to continually do that we go deeper and deeper into yeah. the kingdom of God and and we see it come on earth and as it is in heaven to be finishing on. <laughs> that's enough for today. Oh, one more thing. Though. Yeah. So that's MLK chat. Done. Yeah. Uh, I am going to give a shout done. out though. So on the 24th, so that's in about a week's time, Monday evening, we are going to start a gender and ministry class. So if you've listened to the podcast this long, you're somewhat of a Bible nerd that likes the Bible. And our job is just basically going to be like, what are the bits of the Bible that ought to be on the table when we try and navigate these conversations about like male and female and roles, offices, giftedness, things like that in the church. We'll uh, uh, look at questions like, um, you know, are female leaders in the Bible always the exception when a man won't lead? Is a woman's place really just in the home? All that jazz, all the good stuff. And so excited to do that. It's, uh, Molly and I are going to be doing it. Um, she couldn't be on the podcast today because she's too busy being pregnant. Um, <laughs> I can't remember exactly what she had to go and do, but something pregnancy related. But yeah, we're going to be doing that class. So you're invited. You don't need to register. You don't need to do anything. It'll be Monday nights. You can check out the events pages on the church website, find out a little bit more. Um, but yeah, otherwise, be inspired by MLK. Go live the narrow path. Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by A Jesus Church College, based at Westside A Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from, along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.